I think part of our issues with skill shortages and, and all sorts of stuff across our industry is because we're doing dumb things like saying you must have a STEM degree, or you must have a CISSP, you must have this, you must have that. And what we're missing is a whole raft of people that have got a lot of skill and experience but may not have been in a position to, to necessarily gain those things. From Exabeam, this is the new CISO, a show about the people who lead IT security teams, the challenges they face, and how they overcome them. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe to hear our new episodes first. I'm Steve Moore, and today I speak with Steve Marshall about why he moved from biophysics to InfoSec, how business decisions drive risk, and why he thinks the hiring requirements for some roles in cybersecurity are actually contributing to the perceived skills shortage. How can we anticipate the risk generated through business decisions and where can a CISO better connect with the board to meet these emerging risks head on? From a tactical perspective, is the industry missing out on talent by staring blankly at certifications? All right, good morning, or in this case, good afternoon, Steve. Welcome to the show. Thanks very much for having me on. If you would, uh, for the uninitiated, tell us a little bit about yourself. What do you do and um, what's your career been like? So my name is Steve Marshall. Currently, I am the UK Group CISO for Byte Software Services, which is a very large reseller in the UK of uh, software and technology and, and services relating to all the usual kind of stuff that you would find. Mine probably at the moment is not a, a usual standard CISO position that you would see in, in most organizations. I, I have two roles because generally I get bored fairly quickly. and. Um, I hold both the UK Group CISO role, which looks after all of the internal security functions for Bytes, but uh, I also head up the cyber consulting division. So I look after all of the consultants that go out and work with our customers, uh, over audit and advisory strategy and uh, an assurance-based services. And I think one of the things that, that it gives me is a very well-rounded picture of what others are doing within the industry that uh, you know we can get group and collective learnings and bring it back into Bytes. In terms of my, my career, I started as a system admin, I moved into to, to network engineering. From there, worked on very, very large content and uh, video-based networks uh, around the globe. Moved on then into, into security and uh, security consulting, specifically with a number of agencies uh, across you know, North America, UK, Europe, Sub-Saharan Africa over the years and, and spent the last, I suppose, 15 years of, of my career in management and senior management positions within consulting firms, helping customers move their, their security strategy and particular security standards and frameworks forwards. A lot to peel away there, but before, <laughs> we, before, before we get into, cause you, you said a lot and there's some interesting pieces in there. 15 years ago, you said you moved into being a part of leadership. Uh, do you remember what, when did that happen and why did that happen? Yeah. So it happened strangely because I was in a, I was in a position where I was a head of, head of IT at the time. 
running IT and, and, and also taking on a lot of security work for a, a particular company that I was working with in, in the UK at the time. And uh, I got headhunted out by a value-added reseller at the time in order to, to go and act as their, their technical director and assist them with, with uh, technology and, and security within their, within their customer base. That led me into, into consulting, and I worked as a, as a contract, um, contract consultant for you know, a very large security firm within the, within the UK, adding value into particular teams and, and particular areas that they needed, they needed the skill set that I had at the time. And, um, and that very rapidly moved on from me moving out of this value-added reseller into, into that security company as a, uh, as a full-time employee and rapidly moving up through the ranks of, of their organization into you know, being a managing consultant, running, running a division, up into, up into a principal consultant specializing in, in, for this particular company, Black Ops and Special Projects. So that was a seems to be a pretty rapid change and a very divergent one from a network admin and a sysadmin position, <laughs> right? You probably and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but you you went from an inward focus of of building things, uh, still a, a lot of responsibility, but building things, to now you are part of a VAR or or that that organization and probably responsible for an outward focused sort of service delivery or, you know, technical, technical delivery, but of other people uh, being involved. What, what advice, if I were speaking to you, or you met someone at a pub who was getting ready to do the same thing that you did? Yeah. Yeah. What advice did you give? Yeah. So it's a, it's, it's an interesting thing. I mean, my, my career has not been typical in terms of, you know, in terms of necessarily what you would, what you would expect, you know, my early career, my degree was in, in physiology, which is function and dysfunction of the human body. And then, you know, leaving university in the top 1% of, of the UK straight into PhD in, in, in biophysics, which I didn't complete, by the way, because IT became far more attractive at, at that point in time. I think, you know, there's no standard linear path in terms of, in terms of what you do. I think, um, you know, that probably the best security people that I've met have, have worked in in multiple different roles in both internal of an organization and, you know, working with suppliers for that organization to be able to improve products and services to get what you need and, and how they need to moving out to, you know, designing and implementing and managing solutions for, for others and then into, into a more, I suppose, pure security discipline. I think the answer is a lot of this is about, you know, is about aptitude. It's about one and it's about, you know, you as an individual and the skills that you bring, because, you know, there's no, there's no single right answer as to, you know, as to what companies need. It's starting to become a much more blended approach of, of skill set and experience and, and requirement. I think that's one thing that, that's, that this show has taught me, being able to be a host and interview so many different types of people all CISOs, but with all very different backgrounds and skill sets. It's interesting. And I, and I think it's a great thing. I sometimes wonder, though, I think we struggle with our definition of, of good. And, and you kind of hit on it that, that there's many ways to have success and there's no one right answer. But we're so eclectic, I think, in, in many ways, <laughs> that sometimes I wonder 
will we ever get to a definition of a unified definition of good? It's an interesting thing. What is good? You know, ultimately good, good for different organizations means different things. Right. And, and this is part of the problem is, you know, defining what good looks like good for one organization, you know, is, is maybe adequate for another, you know, when you look at, when you look at corporate, corporate security of, of somebody that doesn't have a, a very voracious external threat vector or those kind of things, you know, good can be very simple and, you know, in a very functional security base. And then you, then you look at government where you're talking about, you know, top secret materials and those kind of things, security and, and good means something, you know, radically different in that regard. And I think that's where the differences are, is that, you know, there are standard definitions of what a CISO is supposed to be, what they're supposed to do, the career path that they're supposed to take, you know, the qualifications that they're, they're supposed to have, and, uh, you know, the expectations of what they should do, you know, within the first 90 days or 180 days or, or over the lifetime of their career. I think in, in the modern world with, you know, the changes in, in, in technology, people and process at such a rapid rate, you know, that becomes meaningless as a, as a standard and it's more, you know, molded around what that organization needs, the skill set and the experience that it needs in order to be able to deliver in its marketplace and actually, you know, remain secure and deliver on business goals. I believe that to be a well-delivered answer. I really do. I, I, the only thing I would then press back on would be yet we still have so many CISOs struggling to be business relevant. So if our answer, if good depends, right? If it's, if I thought you were going to say like, what is a piety, a piety discussion, you know, a real philosophical kind of thing, but it's kind of the same thing. Like good is that it depends, right? It's, it's from the position of, of the observer. And, and uh, in this case, that's the organization, which is all true. Um, and I align completely with your answer. I think it was, is a very good one. However, I think many people, if it, if it depends on what the business wants, and that's the definition of good, many CISOs are struggling with managing the business. So how do we help there? If you agree with that, and what does that mean? How do we, how do we work on that? I think there's a, a, a few problems in that regard. And it tends to be a double-edged sword in reality. We as CISOs need to understand the business and understand the business drivers and also learn to speak the language of the business, right? In order to be able to get the best out of, you know, how we deliver things, how we engage with boards, how we engage with the other key stakeholders, you know, uh, around the organization. But conversely, the business also needs to know what it's getting when it, when it hires a CISO and, you know, what the expectations of that role are to deliver. And it also has to ex expect the fact that the CISO is going to challenge the business to be better. And they're going to challenge the business to change the way they do things to assist in how they, um, in how they operate. I mean, you know, me as a CISO, you know, I work directly for the CEO of the, the, the organization at Bytes. And, and I see my role, you know, very much as, you know, in an overseeing role, setting policy, you know, consulting with the business on, on what it's looking to do. And, and the business can decide it wants to do anything on a, on a scale of, you know, I'll be blunt, zero to batshit, right, in reality. And anywhere, anywhere kind of on that, on that curve. And with or without me, 
the business is going to do it, right? Because that's what it needs to do in order to move forwards. Therefore, you know, what I need to do is I need to understand that. I need to understand the business drivers and the requirements that, that are behind that and align the, the advice and, uh, you know, and the requirements around that so that business can do that in a safe and operable manner that doesn't necessarily change its external risk profile, make it more of a threat or make it more likely to, uh, to suffer a breach or, or loss of data or confidence. One of the things you said, I think, first off, that might be a good T-shirt to make, which would be <laughs> maybe even just have your name or, or, or maybe a headshot, but zero to batshit, I think, is pretty good. That may be more uh, commonly utilized slang <laughs> where you are. I don't I'm not I, I, I've heard, you know, batshit crazy, but uh, but no, that's that's fantastic. I, so I think that we're heading down a path there that that is that is helpful. But I, I think there's many people in information security who struggle with that the makeup of their position does not allow for them to be in that role, to give that type of advice, right? They're sort of buried. Uh, they're, they're left with owning probably more risk than they should, right? So they're, they're buried and they're sort of uh, holding the bag when, when things uh, go to hell. How can that be avoided or what, what coaching do you have there? I think a lot of this comes back down to, to the business's expectations and an understanding of what the role is that they want. There can be a number of different titles that you, you, know, you give to this. And I, I, I don't necessarily think the phrase you know, cyber has, has, has kind of helped in this regard. You know, typically, cyber was a military phrase. That's, that's the origins of it. And information security has a very purebred meaning in terms of, you know, in terms of protection of information and and those types of things and doesn't get involved in technical security or or corporate security or or these types of things. I think we're in a very blended world now where where a lot of these things are just tidied up under the phrase cyber and uh, you know everybody's expected to, you know, to participate in in that from from everything from from governance and risk right the way through to technical security, you know, right the way through to corporate security, you know, breach response, everything that, that encompasses that. And it can be very difficult to, to elevate the conversation to a level where you can speak to other people, you know, at their level and in their language. And I think one of the, you know, one of the things that, that I, you know, I found early in my career is that you know, I struggled with talking to board representatives because they frankly just didn't care about security, right? And ultimately, why would you? Because generally, the security division and department were seen as the people that say no. My role now is not to say no. As I said, on a, on a scale of zero to batshit, it could be anywhere on that curve. And I have to find a solution to, to allow the business to do what it wants, needs, and is ultimately going to do. And I think that the difficulty with a lot of security people is they're very passionate about what they do. They care about what they do. And when they see the business making mistakes and, and putting themselves in, in a position that could be in the way of harm, what they want to do is they want to help the business and they want to get it to do the right things. Unfortunately, what they don't always see is a number of other drivers that sit behind that from other parties within, you know, within the board makeup or within the, the exco or, or the senior management team. And there could be multiple other drivers that, that mean that you can't always do what you want to do and you have to find a different way. And it's about 
my position and, and, and the position of other CISOs is about, you know, talking to, to the other parties, finding the people that are the movers and shakers within the organization that manage to get things done and, you know, gaining their support, engendering and fostering relationships across those parties so that when you need to do things, you can have a reasonable conversation with somebody and find out what the drivers are, what the constraints are how you can shape the argument to gain support from the other members that you need in order to get these things passed. You mentioned kind of a hidden tip in there, and I want to go back to it. You said finding the movers and shakers within within the company. And I took that as, first, obviously, you have, you have to identify those people. But I think the way I took that is you need to go have a introduce yourself, have a conversation, listen, not just speak, and have a connection with them before there's a problem or friction or some sort of stalemate where you can kind of understand who they are. I have found that many people do not make, you may have heard me say this on the show before, the worst time to make an introduction is during a crisis. And this step that you're mentioning kind of preempts that a bit. Share with us if you, I'm sure you have more thoughts on that, but I think it's really key to make that as part, maybe your first 90 days or maybe an ongoing thing uh, to reevaluate. What additional steps would you give or, or advice would you give there? It's interesting. I mean, as I, as I mentioned before, when I, when I used to be the head of IT, I was a really, really good head of IT, according to that particular business. They thought I was legendary. And, and, and the reason for that was that I found out the directors smoked and I went and stood behind the bins where the smoking area was, listened to the conversation, right? And then lined up all of my uh, all of my IT technology and security requirements with absolutely everything that was on their pet projects. So I looked like an absolute genius that was preempting the, um, you know, exactly what they were looking to do as a business. And they thought I was legendary in terms of being able to be able to be one step ahead and, and, and bits and pieces. <laughs> all right. And um, what I learned early was that the intelligence is key right, is it's about knowing who the people are and what the motivations are, what they require, how they require it, you know, and what they're looking to achieve because everybody's got something that they need to achieve because, you know, they want to deliver on time, they want to deliver successfully, and they want to look good in the process, you know, in, in, in terms of remuneration, recognition, whatever it happens to be that, that individually motivates that person. Therefore, anything that, that, that steps in the way of that you know, can be problematic and can be troublesome. Therefore, fostering those relationships and working together in terms of that ultimately has the best goals of, of the business in mind, but also means there's far less stress, far less hassle. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have robust conversations with people. And, you know, sometimes, yeah, things are, are so crazy that legitimately, you know, they would place the business at too much risk. And that's where finding another solution works, but finding it together so that it, it, you know, it appears to be a joined up, homogenous solution that ultimately solves a business need. So at first, when you said that in your old position, people thought you were legendary and what I was going to say, and I didn't want to interrupt, but <laughs> was that there's no reason to be modest on this show, Steve. <laughs> I'm not a legend. Uh, no, no. But, but I think that uh, that was my first thought. But I, I think that, that then, did you smoke at the time? I, uh, I, I want to I dig into this. Or do you still smoke? I mean, 
Was that part of what, were you there or did you just find out that's where they hung out and you just went there? It depends who you ask as to whether I smoked or not. Okay. All right. I'll avoid that again, uh, <laughs> uh, the question, but, and also to translate, because we only speak here American, which is very different than, than, than proper English. The bins are the trash cans out back. I, I assume this is in the, like the, the, the back of the building where they would smoke. And so Correct. I have this image of someone just sort of hiding around, like, like lurking behind the trash cans to eavesdrop. But all kidding aside, I think that is, it's amazing how much intelligence is exchanged. The sort of the, the, the smoker's corner, or it could be, you know, after work, we used to, you know, here would be like a basketball league or a softball league mm. or maybe a, a soccer match. I mean, there's, there's these other events where there's a lot of intelligence that the benefit is, is that it shifts between multiple titles very quickly where it wouldn't inside the building, but it does outside the building. And, and that's, I think, a, a very good thing uh, to remind yourselves of for the listener to kind of have that. How do you find those connections? It's another form of listening is all you're doing, right? You want to hear kind of what they're, what are they concerned about and what do they plan on doing and then making use of that. Correct. I mean, in inside bites, you know, I, I, I sat up with my peers, so, so the CIA, the CTO and myself, you know, we have a, we have a monthly, monthly two hour session where we just sit there and, and, and jaw about stuff and go through what's, what's coming up. You know what they're seeing from a you know from a technology standpoint or a, a technical security standpoint. You know in the CTO's office, what's in the you know what projects coming into to IT for for service and delivery and and an operational requirement. And my office in in terms of policy and um, process and, and and procedure, and then the ongoing overseeing of the business to make sure that it meets its it meets its obligations and its its standards. And we, we sit there and talk about this stuff, you know, quite a lot and, and get a feel for, for where everybody is and what's happening. You know, we also then talk to my boss, who's a CEO, about, you know, where the business is going, what's happening and, and all sorts of, of changes that, that might be, you know, might be coming through that, that process. And, you know, it gives us a good opportunity to, to talk to different people in the organization and work out you know, who's doing what, what's coming up. I generally try and attend a number of different meetings across the organization as well. So the general sales meeting that, that goes on, because then I find out what's driving the sales team, where the pain points are, what the issues are. And then I also try and get into a number of the individual team meetings as well, in order to talk to them about, you know, what they're finding issues that they've got and those types of things so that, so that I can pull this back up into you know into the different areas and and the different conversations that i have in order to be able to make things better and and and, and recommend improvements that are coming out of all these types of conversations when did you figure out this formula because you didn't start doing this this didn't happen day one how did you decide that it was a good idea to sit in the sales meetings for me, it was quite easy because I'm required to sit in there because I head up the I I head up the the cyber consulting division as well. So <laughs> so the guys kind of go out, so I kind of fell into it by mistake in in you know in reality. Mr. Marshall, I need a better answer than this for yeah. the show. I, <laughs> no, I, I, it's a factor of the position. Flipping it around, would you think that most people are? And I'm kidding, by the way. Is there a? I would argue that most CISOs 
you have a unique position, but most of them don't sit with the sales teams. Correct. So you're learning things though. Most companies sell something and have a sales team. Most, yep. most do. So this is in a way, um, a practice that you're developing or have developed that others lack. Would you say that's an, an accurate statement? In some respects. I mean, it depends on the expectation that you've got, you know, you've got of your CISO. For me, I see myself, you know, as a, as a, as a business leader and integrated into, you know, into the business leadership of, of the organization. In order to do that, I have to understand the business. I have to understand what its drivers are. I have to understand what it's trying to achieve in order to be able to give the right advice, guidance, and answers that are needed. Because, you know, if the business is suddenly, you know, looking to change its portfolio and move in a particular way that changes the external threat landscape, or, you know, for instance, as you might have seen announced in, in the press, Bytes is, Bytes is looking at, at an IPO and, and, and public listing. That radically alters the external threat landscape, the threat actors that are going to target us, and, and it changes the way that we need to handle some of our external security, media, and those types of things. Therefore, you know, I have to be an integral part because if, if I'm not, then I, I miss a whole heap of conversation. I miss a whole heap of context and I miss a whole heap of, of ability to be able to assist and make sure that, that my voice is heard so that it's considered as decisions are made. No question. And, and in that, that is one of those events that is going to add to your workload considerably. I would not want to be a security leader who is finding out about this kind of stuff at the last minute. That's just, you talked about stress earlier, right? Mm. You can imagine, but there's many teams that I know of personally that are in this catch-up role perpetually. They're, they're not made aware. Uh, they're not because they are not engaged or for some reason, typically political or, or relationship-based. They find out about this stuff at the last minute, and then it just ramps up the stress. Yeah, it's bad. I don't know if you've got any further thoughts on that, but uh, I see stress. There's these sort of peaks, these absolutes, at least here in the states. Yeah. See, interestingly, you know, as my background's physiological, you know, there's there's two things: pressure and stress. Stress is a bad thing, right? Because it causes a negative reaction on the body as a whole, makes you make poor decisions, and affects health and and well-being. You know, generally pressure is quite good. You know, pressure doesn't have the negative connotations. It it sets end dates and and requires things to be done in a in a particular time frame. I like pressure. I'm driven by pressure as a, a, a as an individual. You know, that fits my character type. Do everything last minute, and if it doesn't have an end date, then then it will get done at some point because you know there's just not enough pressure to 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 deliver my best, if you like in that regard. And that's, that's just part of my, my psyche. And, uh, you know, if you do Myers-Briggs and you look at your, you know, your personality typing and those kind of things, then, then that's clearly where I, where I fit. I think a lot of this comes down to, you know, again, as I said earlier, you know, understanding between you and the business, but also, as I said, it's also a double-edged sword. The business also needs to understand the requirements of security. Now for me, you know, I, I don't own risk within the organization as a, as a CISO. My view is, yeah, it's too much risk for me to accept. Therefore, I won't accept it, which is why I don't own risk, right? The business needs to own the risk because 
it's the one that gets the reward as well as the uh, as well as the sanction if it fails. Yes, let me pause you there real quick. So that is a, a a vast departure from the way most security teams operate. Now, I completely agree. Uh, the the ownership, I think, CISOs in general own or security teams own. You know, there's a sort of sign off. There, they'll make a strong policy, and then there's violations of it or exceptions to it. Then there's this big exception management process, and the CISO ultimately signs off on it. That's very common, at least here in the states. I see it everywhere, and it's it's kind of a trashy way of doing things, honestly. If you don't own the risk, which is awesome, what is the process like of owning the risk? So who signs off on, you say the business owns it, but at some point a name has to go on the, the sort of the, the, the sheet, the bill of goods, right? Who, who's managing that? Ultimately, it'd be the CEO, right? CEO owns all risk for the business, all ultimate reward and all, all ultimate culpability. So at the end of the day, right, risk lays with the CEO, and then is delegated and divested down to to individual owners below that process. It takes a fairly mature process to have people that own systems and and own solutions and own data, right? You know, at the end of the day, yeah, my, my job is chief information security officer. You know, I'm responsible for the security of of data, but I don't own the data. The individuals that create it, the people that use it, curate it, and, and rely upon it within the business own the data. My role is to, you know, is to advise and make sure that stupid things don't happen and that security is in place and that's agreed with the parties around that. People understand what risks they're taking and what risks they're facing. And a lot of this comes back to ultimately the fact that you have to live with the consequences of your decisions and having a mature organization where where people understand consequence and they understand risk and they understand what the issues are if it goes well because as we know if you control all risk you've got no opportunity because from risk comes opportunity you know and if you control everything you've got no business because there is there is no risk so there's no opportunity absolutely so from that regard you know, they need to understand what the requirements are. There are a standard set of operating requirements that, that we don't go outside of. So, you know, there are certain things where, you know, where I say 27,001, so we, we have a risk matrix, we have a risk process, we look at the risks, we understand what they are, we put controls in to control and operate those risks. There are then standard ways of doing things. You know, as I said, the, the CTO defines the technology and the technical security standards that go with it. The IT guys implement that, operationally run it, and deal with the day-to-day technical security requirements of that. You know, and my team initially sets the policy, i.e. the confines, but that's done in discussion with the business, right? Because ultimately, the risk is theirs. They understand what it is. They look at it. They consider it. They decide what their risk appetite is, where they're comfortable. And then, you know, myself, the, the CTO and the, the, the head of IT, then design the systems and controls that go around that in order to meet the risk profile and in order to control the risks that are required, and then update that on an ongoing basis as it's needed. My job is then really to oversee that that, that policy has been implemented, that it then cuts through the standards, the technical standards, the operational run and the daily delivery, and then measure the outputs of that to make sure that we stay in line with that and the controls meet the risk. And then if the risk changes, 
it's then a mature conversation with the areas of business to update the risk assessments, understand what that looks like, and then whether we need to go back and refactor in new controls or changes to controls in order to move forwards. When it comes time for you to report on your internal organization, let's forget about the consulting bit for, hmm. for a moment, and you fill out your, I don't know, it could be a metrics deck, it could be a a quarterly report, you know, you're reporting to the CEO, so it's it's probably needs to be a fairly succinct message, but it sounds like you get a fair amount of FaceTime, so maybe not. What are the things that you report on, or maybe better said, what do you recommend others to report on? So maybe I don't want to dip too much into your operational business, but I mean, when you have that relationship with the CEO and you have his ear, what are the kinds of things that you find yourself talking about and, and how, how do you visually or, or numerically represent that? So a lot of it is, is about impact to the business, all right? It's not security measures, it's not technical measures or any of those kind of things because you know, clearly that's why he hired me was to deal with that stuff. As a, as a CEO, he's interested in the overall big picture of the business, right? Has, you know, are we doing well? You know, uh, how are the operations running? Is there anything that's going to change or, or influence, you know, the way we move forwards as, a, as an organization? Are there any barriers to, you know, to, to new entry? Are there any barriers to to where we're looking to go against the strategy. So generally, my my reporting is line, aligned to the business strategy, right? You know, does does he really care how many times, you know, that the, the IT team didn't patch a server? No, right. right. That metric isn't aligned with with the business requirement. So so for me, you know, I report on on the stated goals of the business and the objectives of the business. And anything that's either likely to impact that from a risk perspective or anything that's likely to support that from a, you know, from a, from a promotion or from a, 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 an acceleration or a, uh, you know, a goals-based perspective in that regard. Interesting. So anything you're taking the, and I'm going to pull this out of the air, but the, the six or seven primary goals or initiatives for the company for the quarter of the year, and then you're going to give a an assessment, anything that would uh, either accelerate or retard that that initiative from your from your lens. Yeah, absolutely. So for me, as I said, you know, it's about speaking the business's language. You know, occasionally I'll, I'll you know I'll get a call from the CEO asking specific questions about, you know, something he's read in the news or, or the CFO asking about risk relating to increased phishing for modification of payments or, or those types of things. And that's actually quite good because, you know, it shows that they're staying up to date, reading and asking questions that are in my area. So, you know, I can at least have the courtesy to, you know, to, to reply and, and do it in their language that they understand that that drive the goals of the business. And that's that's really key to me because, you know, that's how you that's how you become a a, a business leader and that's how you get involved at, in the areas of the business and you don't get left behind. Because if you're all of your conversation is about security and, you know, frankly, it can be a fairly boring and dry subject. <laughs> that's just what I was going to say. They're going they could get <laughs> just because you care about this doesn't mean that they are going to have an interest in it because in their minds, it often 
is so far out of the bounds of their normal day that unless there's some outward crisis that requires them to be interested, they typically won't be. Correct. And, and I hate saying that from experience. Let me tell you, when you get pulled up into discussions and you're in there now one or two or three levels deep beyond the CISO, you have very important people that are interested in the concepts of security and uh, or a breach. Again, making an introduction in a crisis is a really shitty position to be in. And it's, it's no fun, but that's typically the only time they're going to get excited about this. So, you know, you kind of flipping it around and just aligning it to the goals. I, I like that. I want to go back to something you said, though. You said you take the opportunity when somebody reaches out to ask about something that they see in the news uh, and you, you attempt to do it in their language. Do you have any tips for those that struggle with those interactions, right? To the, to the guy who's maybe not the CISO yet, but gets these phone calls or these emails about some problem that an executive read about in the paper. Is there anything that you can give as a bit of advice? You do this often. So what would you say? Yeah, I think there's several bits. So I would just like to say that, you know, my management team actually do get security and they do understand it. And, um, and we do talk about it quite, you know, quite, quite a lot, to be fair, which is unusual for, for a senior management team. You normally only find that, you know, either because somebody's got, you know, a, a vested interest or because they've been burned previously, but generally it doesn't happen. But my team, my team are very, very good. I think they've learned to tolerate me and, and, and understand that actually, yeah, you know, it's, it's quite good to talk to me about some stuff occasionally. In terms, of, in terms of this specifically, I think it's about generally the higher up you get, the less time people have got. And it's about being succinct and and delivering a message in a in a very clear way related to the business that you're in. Hmm. So, you know, one of the one of the interesting metrics is about, you know, how do you how do you show return on investment or how do you talk about, you know, threat in a manner that the business will understand. Let me give you an example. I worked for a for a very large telecoms company in the UK and I spent seven out of 10 years as, as an advisor to their, their board. And one of the things that I developed the concept of them with was contracts. Um, they were a mobile phone operator. So everything was done in, in mobile contracts. So a mobile contract has a particular value and, um, you know, that value is an average value across, across the piece. And what I started doing was talking to them in, in, terms of, in terms of contracts. So you want to do something, how many contracts additionally do you have to go and get to pay for it? Or if we're going to do it, how many contracts does it save? So that they get the idea that they, they can use a metric in their head that they absolutely understand from a business perspective. And they can align that up with their thinking of, right, if I want to do this, it's going to cost me another... 10,000 contracts that I have to go and acquire in a year. Well, if I only normally acquire 2,000 in a year, that's, that's, that's a five-year payback before I do anything else as a business. And it helps to be able to talk to people you know, in that type of language that they can understand. It's a very useful metric, can get their head around it simply and, uh, and move forwards. So another way of saying it might be explaining to them something that you know everyone works in 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 their own currency it was was what a friend of mine would say 
Yeah. Uh, so explaining the decision in their currency. So it doesn't, it, it won't necessarily or literally add or subtract that many contracts, the decision. It's just that the decision has a cost that you're saying from a cost perspective, you're telling them how much harder or easier as it may be, they may need to work in order to uh, facilitate that change. Correct. Or, okay. get, or get other people to work in the business. You right, know, right. It's the honest answer. Let's, let's, let's be honest about that. You know, and, and that also costs you in terms of relationship with other people as well. You know, if the other thing I would say is, you know, you have to remember that, that if you're, if you're not adding value, then you're adding cost, Mm. right? And adding cost is meaningless to a business, right? Security generally comes with an overhead, right? But why does a security department bear that? Ultimately, it shouldn't. The business should bear that cost because, you know, you want to do something, it's got a cost and that should be costed into the process. So it's understood. And, you know, reasonable decisions can be made. I think younger people and, and, and people that haven't got up to the, the, the CISO level, and, and, and as you rightly said, you know, I'm not, I'm not your typical CISO. I'm not, I'm not to everybody's taste. You know, I'm sure there's, there's, there's people going to be sitting out there listening to the podcast going, the guy's an idiot. He has absolutely no idea what he's talking about. And, and yeah, I get quite a lot of that. I'm used to it. I generally <laughs> tend to ignore it, mostly, mostly from my boss. But, um, it's kind of, it's horses for courses. It works for me in the organization that I'm in, and it works for a number of the organizations that, that I consult with at a senior level, you know, as well and have done over the years. I think the thing is that as a, you know, as you're coming up through the ranks and those kind of things, find yourself a senior management mentor, find somebody that, you know, can help you try and get into other departments and understand what they do, understand the business. It's, it's a bit like the old days of, you know, when, when there were apprenticeships, right? Yes. People used to start, you know, on the factory floor and, you know, work their way up. They understood all aspects and avenues of the business. They understood how it ticked and, and how it worked and why it worked in particular ways. And they moved, you know, if they had a good aptitude, they moved up through the ranks of the business. And, and there are a number of places you can see where, you know, people went from the factory floor up to the CEO. No question. Yep. And we're very successful in that because they understood the business. And I think that's where a lot of the technical security people and a lot of the information security people and, you know, the types of technical roles miss stuff is that they deliver one aspect and they don't see the rest of the bigger picture or the way the interactions work or those kind of things. So it's, it's about learning the business why it works, how it works, who the people are that run it, who makes the decisions, how they make decisions and why they make decisions and and getting into those areas so that you can understand. You know, I'm encountering some people and have, and they're, and they're excellent in their career, but some people who have only worked in InfoSec, they've only worked not just in IT, but only in security, meaning they, they left university uh, or whatever they, whatever they may have done, and they started working in some entry level uh, position within the security team, and have only worked there. And that, and in some ways, I'm a little envious because I didn't start there, and I'm not too much more diverse from a technical perspective. But knowing how to build things, you know, starting off as a as a well, technically not a business analyst, but but a technical analyst, and then doing architecture and other areas it helped me immensely. My non-security 
education that I had, uh, everything from working on a farm to a, a lot of other strange jobs helped me as well. That probably in some other skill development that isn't even worth going into, but is it allows you to have different perspectives on how to solve problems as was, was very helpful. But I think the thing that I'm seeing and the thing that you alluded to uh, very clearly is that it's better if you come from a different background in, in many different ways, right? If you've had that rotation, if you've had maybe not a full-on apprenticeship, but if you worked in other areas of the business, and I find that's happening, that's becoming more common, but it's not as common as we would expect. It's, it's, it's still rare, but it's becoming more frequent. You know, it draws me back to my first, my kind of first answer. There's no, there's no right or wrong answer in in lots of these things, you know, there's many different positions and, 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 and many different requirements within the business from, you know, highly technically skilled people, you know, which is where I used to be right down to the people that deal with lawyers and accountants on a daily basis, which is where I am now. And, and everything and everyone in between. And, you know, I think, I think part of our, part of our issues with, you know, with skill shortages and, and all sorts of stuff across our industry is because, you know, we're doing dumb things like saying you must have a STEM degree. You know, you must have a master's in, in information security or, or, you know, you must have a CISSP, you must have this, you must have that. And what we're missing is a whole raft of people that have got a lot of skill and experience but may not have been in a position to, to necessarily gain those things. I employ, uh, uh, you know, lots of of ex-police officers and you know ex-forces over the over the years and you know there's some of the best people you find in in that regard because you know they do have life experience they do understand how and why things work you know but they may not have degrees but then again do they need them is the honest question a lot of this is about experience and the people and building a team that is not the same as you It needs to be as diverse as it possibly can be so that you get multiple opinions, you get different views, you get, you know, sometimes conflicting views and statements that actually make you sit up and think whether you're doing the right thing or not. And as long as once the decision's made, everybody moves in the same direction, you know, it's very much a case of, you know, for me, I want people that challenge me. I want people that drive me forwards and make me better and ask me to explain, and it asked me to explain why I've done certain things and why my decisions work in particular ways, because that challenges me to, you know, to think about why I've done things and what I've done and how I've done it. And then also, how am I actually going to explain that to other business leaders so that they get it and they understand and they appreciate it, and then we can work together. Great diversity begins with diversity of thought, which is exactly what you just outlined there. And I think that uh, your statement, which again, I agree with, is that, you know, I think mediocre leaders will complain about the lack of or the, the number of open positions or the lack of talent. I think uh, good and great leaders will will not use that as an excuse and call out some of the things that you did, whether it's not having a degree or not some certain background. I think the greater issue and those who have listened to the show, I believe we have not so much a, a, a great lack of talent, I think we have a lack of great leadership yet in this field. People that were will solve problems. You're not always going to find the people that you need. Sometimes you have to build them up uh, and look in strange places or what seemingly are strange places to round out a team. 
I could spend another hour on that topic if you want. <laughs> yeah, and it, it's an interesting thing. You see, I, I, I don't see myself as a good or a, a, a great leader in any in any way, shape, or form. You know, I, I just see myself as as who I am, and you know, assisting people that the move onwards. You know, yeah. for me, yeah, I hire people that smarter than me. Why? Because they make me look good. Yeah, there can be a a selfish answer that is still a good one. Meaning, I think having people, yeah, hire smarter people. But there's insecure pe- insecure leaders don't want that. Uh, so we can tell by this conversation, or uh, I have known, you know, this is our first chat or second chat, but um, insecurity is not probably one of your attributes, right? And you can tell that by the way you sort of walk about, right? And, but if there's many people who do have that, they don't want someone to outshine them. And, and um, you know, I think that's a, I think that's a great point. I, we, we are coming to the top of the hour. I know you've got a ton more to add. I want to give you this chance to do it now. We talked about the, the name of the show, you know, what does being a, uh, a new CISO mean to you to kind of wrap out this fantastic show with you? I think it means whatever you want it to mean is <laughs> the honest answer. I don't, you know, I, I kind of hate pigeonholes and labels and, and boxes. You know, I don't think there's any one right answer anymore as to, as to what the defined job role is or, or what it should be. All those types of things. It means what it means to to you as an individual, and it means what it means to the company that you work for. And you know, as long as those goals are aligned, and and you know, you're delivering in line with with the expectations and surpassing the requirements that that people have, and 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 hopefully, you know, making a uh, you know some form of of positive contribution on the way through. I think that's all you can really ask for. Steve, this has been just time well spent. This is fantastic. I appreciate all your thoughts. Thank you so much for spending some time with us today. No, thank you. And thank you for having me on. And apologies to the listeners that may think they've wasted an hour of their life, but hopefully not. (laughs) Absolutely not. They should appreciate the diversity of thought. Thanks again, Steve. No worries. Thanks. That's it for this episode of the new CISO. Thank you for listening. Check out more episodes on exabeam.com forward slash podcast. And remember to rate, review, and subscribe to get brand new episodes first.